usually in the church we talk about the pride cycle, mm-hmm. which is, you know, things are going terrible, you repent, you draw close to the Lord, you prosper, and then then you're like, I don't need God anymore, and then you fall into pride, and then the whole thing repeats, right? Well, um, the, the problem with that, that we're seeing this pride cycle, is that it, it makes pride seem inevitable. And it makes it seem like, you know, and, and I think that we end up really thinking that this is true. We see our own success and we're like, I'm sure I'm going to fall into pride now. And so we're, <laughs> that makes us even more nervous. Or or we see people in our lives that are successful, like well, pride comes before the fall. And um, and again, seeing that cycle, it just seems inevitable. So so there's this really weird thing. So in, cha- in Helaman chapter three, you know, typical sort of pride cycle, right? Mm-hmm. And then... In this verse 35, it talks about these people that are humble, and it says that in in the midst of all their persecutions, they actually became more humble, and they became stronger and stronger in their humility, and firmer and firmer in their faith. And so, like, the question is, how is that that done? Time for another episode of The Cultural Hall, and, you know, I just love fun people. I love funny people. I love when people tell me about funny people, and I love being able to share them with you, and that's what I feel like this episode is. Now, don't worry. We get into gospel subjects like humility. We get into, uh, you know, things like uh, previous episodes of The Cultural Hall where you have had the opportunity to learn and grow. You, you don't know what I'm talking about? Well, you will after you listen to this episode. But I just I just really love guys like Sean. And so, uh, Sean, I love you. Thank you for being this episode of The Cultural Hall. It's time for another episode of The Cultural Hall. I'm honored to be joined by Sean Tucker. Now, you may hear the name Sean Tucker, and you think, I don't know who that is, and that's fine, because when I was first suggested that I talk to Sean Tucker, I said, I don't know who that is, but there's more story than all that. A good friend of the show, Peter Breinholt. In fact, uh, Peter Breinholt, for those that are longtime lifers of the Cultural Hall, know that like 25% of the reason why I even started the Cultural Hall is because I wanted to meet Peter Breinholt, and then six episodes in, I met him, and I I was like, that's awesome, but now what? Where do we go from here? And now, you know, 570-plus episodes later, you can still hear Peter in every single episode that we do. He's the one who does the jingles between our segments. So huge shout-out to him. He messaged me on uh, Facebook Messenger and said, hey, are you still doing the cultural hall? Well, at which at first I said, Peter, why, why do you not know that I still do this? But I let him go on that. He says, I've got a former zone leader who teaches literature at Elon University now who has just written a book about humility. It's terrific. And I wondered if he might be a fit for your show. I said yes. And that is who Sean Tucker is. Welcome, Sean. Oh, thank you very much. It's just a pleasure to be here. Now, are you like Peter Breinholt in this whole thing in that you have no idea what's really going on over here? Or are you familiar with what we do? Yeah. Are you talking about the podcast or the entire state of Utah? Uh, well, <laughs> the cultural hall. Yes. <laughs> I, I am familiar. I, um, As a matter of fact, I, I have an article in um, The Learning of the Jews, the uh, the book you interviewed uh, Trevin Hatch and, and Dr. Greenspoon about it. Yeah. Dr. Greenspoon's article is about laughter. My uh, my chapter in the book is is a response from a Mormon perspective about laughter. And and is yours is don't laugh about that. Is that basically what yours says? Stop laughing. No, it's okay to laugh, but no, not about that. But not loudly. Yeah. Just stop yeah. laughing loudly. <laughs> 
You promised you wouldn't yeah, yeah. do that. You remember? swore you wouldn't, and now look what you've done. <laughs> look at you. And the conference center, no, no less. Yeah. Well, you can fit a plane in there, Sean. You can fit a plane yeah. in. I love that that's always what goes along when you talk about the conference center. It was inspired. And did you know you can fit a 747 in there? <laughs> So, so you write a bunch. That's what I know about you. Tell me, tell me. Let's let's dial it back to a young elder Tucker who served in and around a, a young elder Breinholt. Did you always want to serve a mission? Yeah, I did. I um, I grew up outside of D.C. in Virginia. Um, yeah, I always wanted to, to serve a mission. I one one snowy day, uh, we were out with shovels helping people out, and we met this older couple, and we ended up helping them out and shoveling their driveway and. And um, went home and I left a note for mom saying, I'm going to go, we're going to shovel someone's driveway and preach them the gospel. Uh, (laughs) I was like nine. So that was just, yeah. And I, 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 um, I really like attention Uh and uh, missionary work provided plenty of that. So, so yeah. How, how did it go? How did it go with the couple that you preached the gospel to and clean their sidewalks? (laughs) So, so in the town that we lived in, uh, I don't know. I, I, maybe this doesn't happen where you grew up, but there was always like a, a, a church that would bring in like the God makers and things like that. Yeah. And uh, for people and who it, don't know what the God makers is, that probably uh, deserves an explanation. Yeah. So it's a, it's, it's a movie that um, takes Mormon beliefs, puts it in front of a funhouse mirror to exaggerate every small crazy thing so that we look as ridiculous as possible. It would be like, it'd be like somebody saying, I know about a church where they, eat their God's body and drink his blood. It's like, yeah, that's every Christian church. It's yeah. like that. Take an idea and exaggerate it. So that's what they would do. So, uh, so we went to talk with them and it turned out that they were, that, that they thought that we were nice people who were going to hell. So, mm. you know, um, yeah, there it goes. And then at nine years old, you come running home and you're like, mom, I shoveled their walk, but they told me I'm going to hell. <laughs> Yeah. And I was like, well, I don't know. Even at nine growing up around a lot of Baptists, you're like, yeah, yeah. going to hell. It must be Tuesday. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know what? There might there's probably if I'm going to hell, there's some fun people there. So bring it That's on. Right. That's what I. That's think. right. Absolutely. So outside of D.C., not a lot of members of the church, but enough. And you have that beautiful temple there. Oh, my heavens. And I loved it like that. Um, I, I I grew up outside of D.C. I live in North Carolina. Um, I love my people. I just can't live around too many of them. Um, so, uh, so, so that really suited me well. I was, I got to DJ steak dances. Um, so, you know, there were enough young people and, and lots of opportunities and it was, was wonderful. Where'd you serve? I served in Chile. Uh, Peter and I were both in Chile. I, I got there maybe a transfer or two before he did. And we were there for the plebiscite and for the first vote an incredibly historic, amazing, scary as all get out time. Um, this is at a time when churches were still being bombed in Santiago Jeez. Um, because, because the superstition or the belief on the street was that the missionaries were CIA agents and that the churches were CIA stations and that the steeple was a satellite transmitter. And here we are, you know, spying on you people. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't know. You, you can't extend the logic too far. And um, there's a t- huge amount of tension about whether uh, Pinochet should stay as president or whether there should be free and fair elections and a lot of tension, a huge amount of tension among members of the church, you know, some who are very against and some who are very supportive. And we, we taught, we, we 
taught a guy who had seen firsthand the violence of the coup, and we live with a family who had seen firsthand how the coup brought prosperity and order and security. And it was, so it was an incredible time, incredible time. Give me an idea. What year is that? That was, uh, the plebiscite was in 1988, and the first vote was in 1989. So you get the call, and are you aware of any of what's going no. on? Or you're like, no, yeah, no, I get to speak no. Spanish. Woo! Well, part of it was that. I was like, isn't Chile a food? <laughs> um, you know, and then you see this country, and it's like, what is that? It's just this long, skinny thing, you know. So, yeah, I, I had no – and I wanted, I wanted to go someplace classy and learn French, and I'm so glad I went to Chile. It was just – I get, you know, I, I get to use Spanish just about daily and I, a ton of opportunities that came because of the Spanish as well. And, and uh, I, I met and worked with incredible people, including Peter. Um, I was, uh, I, I love teaching and he, um, he was in my zone um, and we got to know each other that way. We were never companions, but, um, but it was, it was, it was great to work with him. Well, and it's interesting to note, I mean, these 30 plus years later, the fact that you guys are still even in touch with each other that way. I mean, that's pretty significant. Well, and, and we, we'd lost touch, but what happened was, so I, I, I went to Brigham Young University and then, you know, we, we went to Florida for grad school and then Oklahoma and then here. So I, I haven't really lived in Utah. So I didn't know about Peter's success. Hmm. And uh, I was talking with my, my sister and she was, she just loves his music and she was playing. And I was like, Peter Breinholt. And so that's how we reconnected was I, I found out how, how, how astonishing he is as a musician and found out, you know, how, how popular he is out West. So, so what was the goal? You go to college, you're going to Florida and then, you know, obviously now you teach, but like when you were going through all this, you're like, I want to, I want to write essays about the other side of laughter from a Mormon point of view. Like, no, I, so I was, I was not a very strong high school student, um, really struggled with that. And, uh, so I got married and I was planning on just teaching high school because I really thought that was probably as good as it would get. And my wife uh, was really encouraging. And she said, you should teach college. And I was like, I, I just don't think I can do that. You know, and I, I don't want to put our family at risk and get a PhD and then try to get a job. And, and she was really, really encouraging. I, I never would have done it without her encouragement and, and a lot of prayer. And I, I felt, yeah, I guess we can do this. So we went to Florida. I went to Florida State, had our first child born, my first month my first semester there yeah that's the way to do graduate school yeah that makes yeah. it nice well, and easy able yeah. to focus there <laughs> <laughs> well well i mean I, it was incredibly busy uh but I, actually i was really laser focused <laughs> and it was it was interesting how many grad students you know just sort of hang out and do this i was like no i gotta i was teaching two sections of spanish i was taking three grad classes uh, we were poor as all get out and we were crazy happy. Um, so then we had another child halfway through grad school. And then um, then when I finished, I took a job in Oklahoma. Um, and then um, in 2000, I took my job here in, in North Carolina at Elon. And and for people that maybe don't know anything about Elon, it's not one of the most popular. I don't know that I've heard it, but maybe a small handful of times. What is it known for or what what do people go there for? Or is it just kind of a local place? So it's not local. It's a, it's a small private East Coast. Um, we get students from up and down the East Coast. We're getting more students from Colorado and California now. 
um, but uh, it's, it's changed a lot since 2000. Um, what it's known for is exceptional, excellent teaching. And um, every, everywhere I had taught before I came here, I, I got awards. I, I did really well, and I, I'm, I'm really quite good at it. I've never gotten any kind of award here at Elon because, <laughs> because the place is just full of absolutely amazing teachers. And um, I think of it this way. I love English soccer. My favorite team is Arsenal. For me, being at Elon, it feels like I play for Arsenal. I don't start every game. I sort of come off the bench sometimes. Sometimes I stop, you know, so I'm not a star here. And it is just a privilege to be among so many teachers that are just incredibly talented. And North Carolina, there's, uh, if I know my temple geography, there is a temple in North Carolina, correct? Yep. Yep, there's a temple in Raleigh. It's actually in in Apex. Uh, my my daughter and her family live about eight minutes from it now. So yeah, it's a small temple. Um, we call it a stemple, and um, <laughs> they just rebuilt it. And I really thought that they should put a bojangles in, but apparently I was voted out. Yeah. So. <laughs> so. Uh, a lot of members of the church are pretty pretty small as far as like the area goes. There. It's actually sort of like what I had when I grew up outside of DC. Um, we can, you know, we can we can have a steak dance where kids come from maybe forty five minutes away, and you mm-hmm. can get about you can get about two three hundred adolescents in the building, and and um, huge variety. I love the huge variety of members, um, you know, just from all walks of life. Uh, so it's it's wonderful to be here. Uh, you know, we'll go we'll go to Chapel Hill, and we have you know members that teach at Duke, uh, teach Carolina, um, and, you know, do, and do everything. So it's, it's amazing. I love it here. You made a, a reference to the fact that y- you love the, the church or its members or something like that, but you just don't want to live around a ton of them. Give me an idea. I, I feel like I know what that's all about, but what is it like for you personally? Why do you say that? So I say that it's, it's actually all my fault. Um, I, <laughs> well, most, I, most things, as according to your wife, are in fact all yes. your fault. So when I, when I go to Utah, so I was born in Utah and still have a lot of family there, but I find myself incredibly judgmental. You know, I just look around, it's like, come on, people, get it together. Um, so like, I, you what? Know, you, like what, though? Be specific. What do you mean? Like, like they're being okay. judgy all, or like all, you hate no, how tall the, and blonde they are? What's the deal? No, all of the plastic surgery ads. Mm. I mean, come on, people. And um, the, the socioeconomic inequality, um, just just things like that. Things that I, sh- I wouldn't be judgmental of here in North Carolina. Yeah, because spoiler, they have it there. Absolutely. Absolutely. But for some reason, I have this crazy, insane notion that, you know, all these members of the church that live out here should just live to a higher standard, which is, it's really just ridiculous. It's just my own crazy projection. So, so, and the other thing is that, I mean, bless y'all's heart, calling the state beautiful is really quite a stretch. I'm, <laughs> the canyon's delightful, but I'm, like beautiful for me is green. It's lush. It's seasons. It's fall colors. Um, it's it's five flakes of snow are God's way of saying stay home. Um, and you know it, it's not it, it's not this winter and mountains and brown. I mean, and I know it's lovely, uh, but not not beautiful. It's a it's a different kind of beautiful. <laughs> there there is a lid to every pot, Sean. 
yeah, I, well, and the in the winter time when we don't have new snow, that's when I hate Utah more than just about anything because everything is so dead. All the snow is like gray, kind of just gross, and you can't look at anything and be like, "Oh man, that's gorgeous." It's like, nah, it, can it be March? How about April? Well, and there's and there's eight parking spaces at Walmart that are just going to be lost until May, and that <laughs> mountain of snow melts away. So we actually have a Fourth of July party around that as we use the last little bit for drinks. The bonfire. We were we were just out just before Christmas. And I mean, y'all do a great job of um, of plowing the streets, but the sidewalks are terrible Mm. and just treacherous. You're going to fall and break something and just. okay, hard pass, hard pass. Uh, (laughs) Let's take a break. And when we come back. Uh, I want to talk about humility, something that you have both exhibited and not exhibited at all in the first 15 minutes of us talking. We'll get into it and uh, talk a little bit about your book here in the second block of The Cultural Hall. I want to take a brief moment and tell you about Best DJ in Utah. You can go to bestdjinutah.com. Who is that me? It's also three other guys that I have hired to work for me. Why? Because business has been so great. Uh, We've been able to help a lot of couples as they've been celebrating their weddings, been able to do a lot of uh, holiday parties, uh, birthday parties, being able to just to do community events as well. We do travel, so I know you're thinking, well, listen, I live in Nevada. I live in Idaho. I've even gone so far as Louisiana. I've been down to Texas. I've been up to Washington Uh, All of the places certainly is possible to be able to play music in. Obviously, you just need to get there. You can go to bestdjinutah.com. Let's start the conversation about it. You're getting married. You're thinking about getting married. You'd like to get married. Whatever the thing may be, bestdjinutah.com. Imagine running a small business today. It's challenging. Imaging and internet presence is an absolute must. Even with that, you're still a small star in a bright cyber universe. Now, imagine you have someone who understands how to get your site designed for your talents and then easily searched by potential clients. Imagine Lennon Design. Whether it's strictly a website or a whole package of logo creation, advertising media, and promotional materials, Lennon Design is your partner in business. They'll test the boundaries of their imagination to create something unique for you. When you need creative, affordable design, let it be Lennon Design. Call 801-699-3022 or visit LennonDesign.com. Here in the second block of the Cultural Hall, invite you to become a Patreon saint of the Cultural Hall. Go to patreon.com forward slash the Cultural Hall. It is the only place that you will get the videos of which we record with each of these episodes. You're able to see Sean, and I don't know what face that was, but one that only a mother could love. It's patreon.com forward slash the Cultural Hall. Uh, Be a part of that secret but not sacred Facebook group that all Patreon saints are able to be a part of. You can get in there for just $5 a month. And thanks to everyone who does that. Sean, uh, humility is an interesting thing to address um, for several reasons. One, I don't think we understand it very well. And two, at the point that you say, yeah, I understand humility really well, I think that you've missed the point. So let's dive into humility. Yeah, I, I, I'm i I'm not as fond of like, uh, if you understand humility, you don't understand it. Um, um, I, I mean, I sort of get where that's coming from. But, you know, I, I, I think that you can be confident and know something without being proud. Uh, so, so I'll, I'll give I'll give a sense of this. Um, there's a story that um, there's a story that that Socrates tells, um, and um, 
so here's how it goes. It's Aphrodite's birthday. There's a big party that's going on. And um, one of the guests is um, Poros. And Poros, his name means like resourcefulness, right? Because um, one of his parents is ingenuity. Like Poros, he knows how to get stuff done. And um, so it's a big party. So one of the people that shows up is Pena. And Pena, her name, she means poverty, right? So she's always poor and stuff just is going south for her constantly. So Pena shows up to the party and it turns out that Poros is drunk like on the patio. So Pena's like, dude, if I can get a child with Poros, then, you know, I can have my needs met, right? Then I can, I can get what I need, right? So, um, so she gets pregnant um, with, uh, with Poros and they have a child and their child's name is Love, right? Um, so they the, had is, is this the first wait for the dad joke? Love child? Go on. <laughs> I like that. Um, so uh, the child, so the child's love and this, the story itself, they had, from what I understand, they had thought about using this in the For Strength of Youth pamphlet, but then it turned out that it really wasn't, you know, for the strength of youth-ish. Um, but so the idea is that love is the child of Poros and Pena, right? So love at one moment is like full and got everything that it wants, right? That's from its father, Poros. But then the next minute it's poor and empty again. And it's constantly vacillates between this, right? Being full, being empty, being full, being empty. And for Socrates, that love is the love we see in like the love of learning, right? So, you know, you want to learn something, you work hard to get it and you achieve that thing. But then you see another place where you can where you can learn more. So you 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 see a poverty, you see a need, and so you 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 get it. Um, but then um, but then you see another need and another poverty, and it's that constant back and forth between resource having stuff and poverty Pena um, not having it. And and that's that's what the struggle is. And for me, that's that's one side of humility. Humility is. Um, always seeing where the gap is, always seeing where the need is and where there's an opportunity for more growth. And this, this courageous willingness to see where the gaps are, right? And not because it's, it's just part of our nature to, to self-justify and to pretend the gaps aren't there, you know, to bring in a bit of willful blindness. But, but humility means the courage of just looking for where the holes are. Um, but then also another part of that humility is, is the courage and the confidence that you can go get it right that that you have this and and in the church in, or in the gospel um you know the poros is the, the pena is seeing that need but the poros is a combination of our own, our own efforts but also god's grace hmm. um you know and that's that, that's essential for uh fulfilling the needs that we have um so so thought of that way, it's, it's something that's a lot more active. It isn't always this, you know, self-forgetting or something like that. It's humility can mean, wow, here's a quality that I really want to have, or here's, um, here's a part in my life where I'm just really coming up short and the courage to see that. And then the courage to combine one's own efforts with, with God's grace to, uh, to, to, to find the poros, the resource to fill that need. So using this as a structure and framework, uh, share from your own personal life. I, I want to know about, you know, sometime where the uh, humility has been able to be, to be applied and, and what that looks like, right? Because I think within the story, it's like, poor Ospenia, okay, I think I got it. But if you're like, here is a thing 
that I did. And I'm like you, but I'm in North Carolina. I, I would be curious to know how that's played out for you. So the easiest one that comes right to mind is learning Spanish. Um, you know, I was, I, I had studied Spanish in high school a little bit. I thought I was really good in the MTC and then they dropped me in Chile and, oh my gosh, I just, I felt lost. I had, I had nothing. My, uh, I got, the Chileans have this way of speaking where they drop a lot of their S's. So instead of saying, como esta usted, they'll just say, como esta usted. And my first companion said that to me and I'm like, I have no idea what you're saying to me. There's a lot of T's in it, but I, I don't know what in the world that is. And so, um, and, and it was really discouraging for, you know, for quite a while. And so, you know, you work at it, you pray that Lord's help will sort of intervene and you, you keep working and, and then, you know, you, you, you hope that that happens. And over time, you know, it does happen. You, you work at it and, and again, you, you get what you need. Um, I know, you know, it, it happens when you're working on a relationship um, and you start to see the places where you're co-creating something that uh, neither of you really want. And, you know, that can be hard to see. It could take a lot of courage to see, oh, there's some poverty here. There's, you know, I'm making a mess here. And, um, and then to, you know, to, to try to draw upon the poros, the, um, all the resources that are there so you can, you can fix that. There, there's an interesting part of this to me, though, that comes more to mind. And going back to your Spanish example, like you learned it. Right. And then you were like, yeah, I'm able to converse and then I'm able to, you know, really speak to the people and be able to function. And and I think that's where a lot of us it's not that we don't have trials or that we don't um, have these challenges or opportunities for humility. But like if we can avoid the opportunity to be humbled or be, you know, you know, have humility like we will push through that time. Man, yeah, that was really hard, and now I am not doing anything like that again because it is uncomfortable, because it is difficult. So what? So how how do we make it as a cycle? Because obviously we're going to be better people if we can constantly be learning and be growing and be putting in those opportunities. Our nature is to just be comfortable. How do we how do we keep the cycle going? So I'm I'm glad you said cycle because one of the things that's in the book is there's a usually in the church, we talk about the pride cycle, mm -hmm. which is, you know, things are going terrible. You repent, you draw close to the Lord, you prosper. And then, then you're like, I don't need God anymore. And then you fall into pride and then the whole thing repeats. Right. Well, um, the, the problem with that, that we're seeing this pride cycle is that it, it makes pride seem inevitable and it makes it seem like, you know, and, and I think that we end up really thinking that this is true. We see our own success and we're like, I'm sure I'm going to fall into pride now. And so we're, <laughs> that makes us even more nervous or, or we see people in our lives that are successful, like well, pride comes before the fall. And, um, and again, seeing that cycle, it just seems inevitable. So, so there's this really weird thing. So in, in Helaman chapter three, you know, typical sort of pride cycle, right? Mm -hmm. And then in this verse 35, it talks about these people that are humble. And it says that in, in the midst of all their persecutions, they were actually became more humble and they became stronger and stronger in their humility and firmer and firmer in their faith. And so like the question is, how is that, how is that done? So in the book, there's a diagram and it's a figure eight. So there's a, there's a, there's a circle on top and a circle on the bottom. And at the center where the two circles meet, there's a star. And that's, that star is the choosing point. And that's the point at which you are at, we are at in our lives all the time. We can constantly choose. And so coming out from that point, uh, going to the circles, um, we can either choose um, pride, 
or we can choose humility, right? And if you choose pride, then you, you choose to go around the bottom circle, right? And if you choose pride, then you choose competition and conflict, right? You choose to see others as the enemy, right? You choose to see God as the enemy. You choose to see, you know, your weaknesses as an enemy to be avoided, right? Well, when you do that, you also choose fear and isolation, and fear and isolation, so then you sort of go around the circle, you know, enmity, uh, uh, conflict and competition, fear and isolation. And ultimately that leads you to all this crap, these cursings, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But that leads you right back to the choosing point. And you can continue to choose pride and get more and more upset, see yourself more as a victim, self-justify, the whole like Nihor, all these people who just become worse and worse and blame other people in, in that sort of situation, right? Um, or you get to the choosing point and you can do the other circle, right? That's the humility that's going up and you're going to go, you know, clockwise around this one. You choose humility, which means choosing friendship, um, choosing to see God as a friend, choosing to see others as a friend instead of competitors, choosing to see your own weaknesses as a friend, as a, as a resource, right? And when you do that, inevitably you choose connection. You choose connection with God. You choose connection with other people. You, you, you choose connection with yourself and with what's really going on and with reality and truth. And that brings blessings, right? It brings living truthfully, living connected to others. But all those blessings, again, you sort of go around the circle, put you right back at the choosing point. Right. Mm -hmm. And in the pride cycle, people just keep going around the figure eight. Right. So they get all these blessings, but then they choose pride and forget God and they go and they just keep going around the figure eight. But but what's nice about the figure eight is that it says you don't have to choose. If you choose humility, you can keep choosing humility. You can keep going up. Right. So so when you prosper, you can say, what is it that's making me prosper? It's my courage. It's my love. It's my willingness to connect. It's my humility. It's my willingness to see God, others and my weaknesses as friends and um, and to continue to embrace that. And so then you get that thing that Helaman 335 is talking about stronger and stronger in your humility and firmer and firmer in your faith. And so that's how that's how this cycle is. So simply put, I mean, saying and praying every day, how can I be more humble in the sense of how can I be a better friend to God? How can I be a better friend to the people around me instead of seeing them as the enemy? And how can I be truthfully honest and courageous in seeing my weaknesses uh, so that with my efforts and God's grace, my weaknesses can become strengths? I like the idea of a figure eight, and for whatever reason, uh, I'm I'm not a dirt bike guy, but that's sort of what came into my mind is you know this this figure eight on a dirt bike, and and I think so many of us probably feel like we're just doing circles in that lower circle, right? Some good deep muddy ruts, and we're like, hey, there there's a way I could go a different one. Nah, we know this one. Let's just keep <laughs> let's just keep going there. Oh, hey, I could go there and do another. Ah, no, let's keep doing this. I know I'm gonna lean into this one a little bit harder when I get up on the arch. And and we really do, I think, as a human condition, or maybe it's a tool of the adversary, say, this is the circle which you're in. I know that there's that other thing over there, but that's not for you. Don't worry about it. Yeah, and, and that's absolutely the case. And that bottom circle, it can be really, you know, you can get into this vicious cycle because you 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 feel all these cursings, you feel isolated, you blame other people for where you're at. Um, you you see them as the fault of everything. You mm. see yourself as a victim of everything, and then you know. And then uh, there's this there's this image in a poem where there's a guy who's trapped in a tower, but he's he's got his back to the door, 
and he holds the key, but he, he refuses to even understand it's the key. And he's got his back to the door. His only way of, of getting out, he literally won't, won't even, won't even recognize. So yeah, that, that, that does happen. What do you think? Um, well, let me try that again. Let me phrase that a different way. In a day and in an age where we live, where it seems like we're able to, I mean, you make the joke about coming to Utah and you're like, yeah, you're doing that wrong and you're doing this right. And, you know, there there is this idea that we're now more connected than we ever have been, but are probably more disconnected in, you know, in reality than we ever have been. What, what do you think the intersection of being able to see everyone's greatest hits with social media and than being able to see the very worst of us within ourselves uh, playing out in this whole kind of uh, figure eight cycle. Yeah, I that it definitely gives it definitely gives more opportunities to either choose to see other people as the enemy and to be envious of them and jealous of them and to 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 miss all the things that are that are happening in our lives um, and. It, it can absolutely make all that that whole situation worse. Um, it, it can also create situations, though, where we reconnect with people that we haven't been connected to in a long time. Um, it can create opportunities for us to learn um, and to grow. Um, one of the things that social media has done for me is um, I really like like Mormon satire, mm-hmm. um, and I really I really like it because of this whole Poros and Pena thing because satire can humorously show us where we're making a mistake, right? Or show us where, where we've got a blind spot. Um, and it can do it in this really sort of subtle, interesting, sort of funny way. And, um, and you know, sometimes memes will do that. Sometimes articles that you'll see get sent around and do that. And, um, and that, that, at least for me in particular, humor seems to, seems to be a way to kind of like nudge me um, to see where I'm being an idiot or where I'm missing something. So give me, so. give me an idea on that. I had a cartoon that sort of plopped into my mind. Maybe I'll tell you about it, uh, as you're thinking of something satirical that you've seen recently, but the idea is, uh, it's here in Utah and it's, uh, two women, they're sitting down and the one very visibly has coffee. You know, she's, she's sitting down to have her morning cup of coffee, and the other person has a 64-ounce soda and a pink frosting cookie and says to her, you know, that stuff's not any good for you. <laughs> so so a couple of things that come to mind. Um, one, when I was a kid, there was, uh, I guess, the, the Bagley cartoons that talk that address a lot of things in the church. And yeah, Pat Bagley, who these... I think he draws for uh, for the Salt Lake Tribune in Utah. Yes. And it's, sometimes yeah. it's political, but sometimes it's satirical about the church. Yes. Yeah. So from way back in the day, and I was a little, I was pretty young when I saw this. He had, uh, it, it's, it's these, you know, uh, Book of Mormon looking guys and they're standing around. One guy's sitting down and he and he's writing and he says, I layman, <laughs> having born being born to like annoying parents and a know-it-all brother, <laughs> right there for the <laughs> and and I just I just love that because you know um the this this whole idea of like Teflon Nephi and starting to see how you know Nephi really might have had some self-righteousness about him. And, uh, and, and I like that. I, I, I thought that was really clever for the, um, for the article that I wrote for the learning of the Jews. Again, it was about 
Mormon humor, Mormon laughter, I referenced a blog called the Mormon Tabernacle Inquirer. <laughs> and um, which pretty, just a name is pretty brilliantly yeah, named yeah. for sure. Yes. Yes. And uh, so they, th- it doesn't seem to put up as much stuff as it used to, but just in last year, they did an, an article about, it was like the Mormon Tabernacle Inquirer guide to uh, how to get your wife to have sex with you. Mm-hmm. And, and um, so it's written from this like male perspective and it goes through all this stuff. It's like, well, of course women don't like sex. You know, it's just part of their punishment on earth and that they have to do. And, and so the whole article sort of works from those assumptions. And so it's like how to get your wife to do sex for you. <laughs> and um, one of the things that it suggests is clean the garage um, and, and it's whole like, you know, if you do your husbandly duties, then she'll have to do her wifely duties, you know, <laughs> cool. and, and, you know, and inspired women can tell that like, when you turn off the TV so that you can talk, that that means it's time for her to do her wifely duties. Right. Wow. And, and, yeah. And it, and it says sometimes, you know, for some women who aren't as inspired, you're going to have to kind of really kind of make a show of it. So like picking up the kids from soccer or maybe cleaning up once from dinner, you know, you might need to sort of say, you know, I really love serving you, dear, you know, so that she'll understand her grim sexual stewardship, which I thought was, which I thought was an just a beautiful phrase. And, and so, and what, what I found clever about it, it was that, you know, I, I think that people can get this idea that sex is some sort of duty. Um, and that if, you know, we're going to, we're going to negotiate for this and I'm going to do this for you. And then you owe this to me. And um, I, I mean, I think it's, I, th- I think the satire can actually point to something that really could be an attitude or a view that one might have. And, you know, it's funny, but at the same time, it opens up this place to sort of say, Ooh, do I have that nasty attitude? Have I done that? Have I been like, well, you know, I really want sex. I guess I'll vacuum. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And, um, you know, and uh, to sort of say, wait, the the whole way that you're configuring this is, is unhealthy. Um, So I, I I like that. I, I like humor that's used in that sort of a way um, to kind of help people see maybe there's another article in the in the in the blog and i referenced this in the article that uh the, the spirit world is just two lines of people who either want to hug you or punch you <laughs> um and the people like the people that want to hug you are like the woman and you did her temple work when you were working on the genealogy merit badge when you were 13 and uh-huh. she's just thrilled to death to finally meet you and then there's a guy who's super upset because you sat by him on the plane but didn't share the gospel with him you know because you just fell asleep and, yeah and this whole, I mean, just this whole, what happens with some of our beliefs and, and how they can kind of spin into some pretty funny and rather absurd conclusions. So I, I, I like things like that. You know, talking about the, the sex uh, in particular, and I love that I just said the sex like I'm 80 years old <laughs> and talking about the sex. You know, we recently had uh, Amanda Louder here in the Cultural Hall. She does a podcast called Sex for Saints, where we talk all about that. So I encourage people to go and and learn about the duty sex uh, as she talks about that. And it's, I mean, that, that yeah, we, we could go for hours about some of the attitudes or practices within the church around that kind of stuff that's, to, to your point, like if we had that serious conversation, like it can become in, inattainable for some people. They can't lock into it because they're like, whoa, this is too much. It's none of your business, whatever the thing may be. But you wrap some comedy around it and they're like, oh, yeah. Oh, oh, geez. Yes. Oh, yeah. this is me. And, Maybe. 
and 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 I I I love like Jennifer Finlayson Fife and some of these other people and and what they do talking about you know attitudes that are pervasive in the church and and it's amazing to see how this article this you know this little satirical article touches on so many of these things like these added like there's one and part of the article says you know remember guys you've got to fully be on the gas you know because it's her job to be the brakes and you don't want the brakes stopping the car you know <laughs> with this this whole just exaggerating this whole old idea that can that can still be very prevalent but then when you see it presented in this sort of absurd way you're like that is an absurd idea why why are we embracing this yeah yeah let's take a break i want to come back in the third block uh we'll tell people the title of your book how they might get it and then there's three questions we ask everyone who steps into the cultural hall we'll ask those of you we'll come back and do that in just a minute hey this is dan the laptop man from pc laptops in salt lake city ho 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 Santa claus is here have you been a really good girl or boy this year? Hold on to your elf. It's the Ultra Mega El Grande Fluffy Holiday Sale at PC Laptops on the best desktop and laptop computers on the planet. This is it. We have the brand new PC Laptops S1 desktop computer with a lifetime parts and labor warranty from $29 a month. You can also save up to 50% off our original prices on open box, scratch and dents, and demo models. That's right, up to 50% off. Plus, they all come with a lifetime service guarantee. Holy mackerel! To make it impossible to resist, we're doing 12 months special financing on any PC laptop's desktop or laptop computer. Have I lost my mind? Call us at 1-877-596-7283 for details or check us out at PCLaptops.com. That's PCLaptops.com, where we love you! Here in the third block of the Cultural Hall, do not forget that you can uh, be a part of the Cultural Hall back row. It's a free group over on Facebook. You just have to search it, and then we have to be uh, allowing, allowable. You have to, you have to have, you have to have a profile picture. Is basically the standard that we have for that. Find the Cultural Hall back row. We'll accept you. It's over 250 people strong, talking about the awesome things that go on in the Cultural Hall, and also very tangential things. Something that you hear in an episode. Uh, someone will go, I've been to that restaurant, and then there will be a whole thread about that and not at all about the episode. So find the Cultural Hall back row. Would love to have you uh, as a part of that group. Sean, what's the name of this book? So the book is called Humility, A Practical Approach. Um, I've written scholarly books, but this is a book that I actually wanted real people to read. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, yes, and it, it's... It's, it talks about a king who's a poor judge of character, a gigantic foam finger in sacrament meeting, um, it, cilantro. There's a lot about cilantro. Sure. There's a discussion of why a guy named Doug is the reason why you feel inadequate. Uh, you know, just the normal standard stuff. You know, I, uh, I, I don't want to, because I've never written a book, be one to tell you your business, but you really... You really missed out on the title of the book being something like unto basically the best book on humility or some <laughs> variation. <laughs> I thought about like near my name saying like with big stars, like Sean Tucker, humility expert, world <laughs> renowned, you know, with like big stars and like real glitter on the book. Uh-huh, yeah. Uh-huh. I, so you thought yeah. about it. Good. <laughs> I did. Uh, we'll we'll provide a link in the show notes so if people want to go and check that out, um, they can definitely do that. And by check that out and books, I don't mean at the library, although tangentially <laughs> now you probably will be able to get it at a library. Just buy it. Sean has yes. kids and they have needs. <laughs> he would like your money. Uh, yes. 
please. Yeah. Please. Yeah. Book authors make it big that with the absolutely with the ten yeah. cents that he gets from your purchase of his yes. book. Uh, yep. You've you've published a lot. You uh, have taught there at Elon uh, for if I'm getting my math right, twenty years. Yeah. Yeah, which, over which, twenty years. Yep. Which, if I'm uh, continuing to do my my math right, you're you're probably early fifties. I've yep. never I've never sort of asked this question before, but I'm curious to ask this uh, from you as you look. You know, let's say you're living a hundred. You're past the you're past the middle of that road. Like, what what do you what do you look what do you look forward to? Or in this humility cycle, like, what's the thing that you're like? Wow, I don't know much about this. Maybe I'll get into this in these next years or or how have you kind of employed this and, and look forward to using it now in the rest of your life? So it's interesting you would ask that. Um, I like to play video games because I use my time wisely uh-huh. <laughs> um, and I play Apex and so I'll, I'll, I'll get on and I'm one of those annoying people who likes to chat with people. Uh-huh. Um, so I'll have these conversations and I, I told them once like, I'm, I'm in my fifties and the people I'm playing with are just astonished. And, and they're like, what's that like? And I said, well, I mean, it's, it's interesting to realize that you have more yesterdays than tomorrows. And they were horrified. Yeah. <laughs> they were like, Oh my gosh. I'm like, no, oh, that's just the way it is. Well, so to give you a sense of this last Wednesday, um, I had, a, I got a new, um, I got a, oh, shoot, I got a new grandchild. I got a new grandchild. Um, <laughs> And, <laughs> and she is just straight up amazing. Uh-huh. Um, and this is number two. Um, and it's, it's funny, you know, it's funny how life just keeps sort of getting richer. Um, this grandparent thing is just amazing. Um, spending time with two of my four children, spending quite a bit of time talking about succession. Um, love that show now. And that's just, that's really wonderful. Um, I'm, I'm glad I've written this book. Um, and, and I hope to have more opportunities to talk about some of the ideas. I mean, yeah, I, I love doing this podcast. I love just opportunities to do that. So that's, that's really rich and rewarding. Um, it's wonderful being an empty nester. Um, you know, I like, um, I like the whole clothing optional all the time at home thing. <laughs> Um, and it's just, uh, it's, 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 it's really great. I, um, I, so I, I have this book, this book came out just after Thanksgiving. Um, and then I have another book that's coming out, um, sometime early this year and it's called can laughter make the world a better place. Um, so that's the other sort Spoiler, of Spoiler, yes. <laughs> well, actually. Spoiler, the, the book, no. The, the book has three sections and the first section is no because think about sexist laughter abusive laughter think about those relationships where you meet that couple and their laughter is so nasty that you're like okay you two need to stop you Mm. need you you know and so that's clearly a sense where no laughter does not make the world a better place there's times when laughter is like okay maybe so there's a discussion about burning man Mm -hmm. (laughs) um and how like Laughter at Burning Man is meant to open up a lot of like opportunities, like ways to rethink the world, right? But ways to rethink the world doesn't necessarily guarantee that you're going to think of good ways, you know? So maybe laughter does that. But then you think about like laughter that really um, encourages people to connect, to heal, to know one another. So there's activist laughter, um, 
for me, one of the best examples is Hannah Gadsby's show Nanette. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like that. I find that really, really funny, but I find that it really, it really does try to heal and connect. So, so that's an example of yes. And so the book tries to, it's, it's also written, it, hopefully it'll be out. It's written, is written for human beings to actually read. Um, so yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of the other project. You know, going back, and I can't let this go because I've I've just sort of played this scene now in my mind a couple times as you were talking, uh, the idea that you're a 50-plus gamer and you're, you know, you're chatting with young teenagers and, and they're like, yeah, yeah, come on, let's kill them, let's get this. And you're like, if I can help you understand the concept of compound interest right now, mom, Sean's talking about my 401k. <laughs> It, it it sort of reminds me of uh, the scene from the original airplane where they bring the, the boy to oh, the cockpit. Yes. yes Have yes. you ever been in the cockpit before? <laughs> uh, shoot, shoot, Sean. Funny, 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 funny. Um, I appreciate you sharing that. That's a lot of vulnerability and being like, hey, yeah. And the perspective of the, there are more yesterdays than tomorrows. It frightens the crap out of me. And I'm not much younger than you are. But but it also dawned on me as we were talking, and it sort of fits into this figure eight conversation that we've had and, and our look at life as members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, is we kind of get real good at this life thing, and then it's done. And with the idea of eternal progression, we're going to be real bad gods when we first step into that, and then we'll hopefully be able to to learn our way through that. And, and I don't know that that, that uh, idea has ever dawned on me before. Well, and it's it, I mean, it, it's pretty exciting. It's really pretty exciting. And and in this respect, like this willingness to see where you lack, you know, where the gaps are, uh, where where you can grow, and this ability to to be friends, to instead of competing with others, to uh, to be open to all that they can offer you and all that they can give you. I mean, it makes life really exciting uh, and make, makes a great way to go just a little, another little story. So I had originally written this book and I was real excited about it. Blair Hodges, uh, who was working at the Maxwell Institute at the time, he looked it over and he said, you know, Sean, you really need to learn how to write for a popular audience, right? Because you're an academic and, and you seem to think you're doing that and you're actually not really doing that. And it was extraordinarily helpful for me to then actually really study what it's like to write for a popular audience and to do that much better. And, and the book is so much better because of Blair's suggestion and because of just taking the effort to actually find out what it is that's going to engage um, the general public. Uh, and a shout out that Blair Hodges, an upcoming guest here in the cultural hall, uh, his podcast, Fireside, uh, throw a little plug in for that. I told him, he reached out to me when he first launched that, and he said, hey, uh, can I be on the show? And I said, once you've published 10 episodes, sure. <laughs> and he's like, what? And I said, yeah, listen, so many people start these things, and I'm like, yeah, I'm I'm invested now having you here. That sounds great. And then you make it to six because you realize it's hard. And then I feel <laughs> like, you know, I told people about a thing that doesn't exist anymore. So <laughs> when you get to ten, so he will be uh, he will be on here pretty quick, and and uh, is a great friend to the hall. So shout out to to Blair. Um, 
We ask three questions of everyone who steps into the cultural hall, and I'll ask those of you now. The first question is, is do you have a calling? And if so, what is it? Okay. I I don't like to talk about my calling, especially because... You're so humble? A, no, and it's such a... I mean, it, it really is such a big deal in the church. I mean, everyone understands that the first counselor in the Stake Sunday School presidency is really the pivot point upon which... Stakes rise or fall. Sure, sure. Um, so I just recently got called to that. So the weight, the mantle of first counselor in the state Sunday school presidency is still still ill-fitted. Uh-huh. So I don't even know what they do, and I know you don't oh, either. I have no idea either. <laughs> I've never seen anyone do it. I think they show up at ward conferences, and if there's lunch, they eat towards the middle. That's all. That's the, I think that's the whole way that the calling is described. Success. If you could pick a calling for yourself, either one that exists or make one up, what would you pick? Uh, any sort of teacher, especially, honestly, and this will not sound humble, I'd love to teach any class where it's sort of a challenge. Um, like yeah. what? Like teenager challenge or like Old Testament challenge? Either one. Either one. Um, you know, teenager challenge, uh, you know, sometimes that's really rewarding. I taught a primary class and we had some kids who were quite a challenge and it was really difficult for me. And I was, it was really gratifying when I really, I, like I studied a bunch of stuff to kind of learn how to work with them. And it was really, it was really gratifying in the end. Hmm. Sounds yeah. terrifying to me. I oh. hear that and I go, growth maybe, but is it worth it? Is it worth it? Cost <laughs> cost analysis. The last question we ask everyone, and we ask you to interpret it however you may, but the question remains, what is your favorite part of your faith? Favorite part of my faith. Um favorite part of my faith is probably the bonds of friendship and love that I, that my faith offers. Um, and that, and, and I, I try to be really cool about this, but it's painful for me when people separate from the faith community. It, I mean, and, and I love these people and I understand why people do this. And I understand that they have to do this for lots of good reasons. Um, but Zion just seems poor um, when, when, when that's necessary for those people. And, um, I just, I I feel so grateful to just be part of the community. I I get to know so many different people. I have such bonds with them. I, I had a, I had a pretty close friend, um, who died earlier this week. Um, I'm sorry to hear that. The viewing is today. The funeral is tomorrow. Um, and, um, you know, so this is really, at the surface, uh, those those bonds of friendship and love that we shared and that we shared sort of throughout the this our close knit sort of community is 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 just so rich and satisfying and and it's just I don't know it's it's so it makes life so worthwhile. Well, Sean, uh, we'll leave a link for your book in the show notes so people can pick it up and purchase it there. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, we appreciate that you were here. Uh, I hope that this episode has nourished and strengthened your body, that if you're not <laughs> healthy enough to listen this week, that you'll be healthy enough to listen next week, and that when the time comes, you will be able to travel home in safety. In the meantime, Rick <laughs> McGee, Debbie Wanless, Brother Brent, Chocolate Cake Bites Podcast, and Miracles. I told you so. We'll be saving a seat for you on the back row of the Cultural Hall. Save me a seat. It's sure to be neat.